If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Robin Myers, senior minister in one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Dr. Robin Myers. The scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. Because it is World Communion Sunday, I'm going to read Luke's account of the Last Supper. When the hour came, he took his plate at the place at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Here ends this reading, inspired by God. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. It is a strange time to be a preacher in America, uh, particularly if you believe Dr. Ford, and I do, just as I believed Professor Hill in 1991. I was six years into my ministry here when she brought sexual harassment charges against Clarence Thomas. Lori was eight or nine years old, and every member of the Senate Judiciary Committee was male. After testimony that proved any woman who brings such charges is guilty of lying until proven innocent, and after several senators seem more interested in prurient details about porn than about getting to the truth, Thomas took the bench and then did not speak for nine years. In those days, Anita Hill was accused of making a mockery of the hearings. Thomas called them a high-tech lynching. She was not allowed to be angry. He was allowed to be enraged. In the end, the enormous power difference between men and women prevailed, and so not much has changed. The only difference now is we have a president who mocks the accuser. I don't know how much longer women are supposed to take this, but as the father of a daughter and the grandfather of three remarkable girls, I hope not forever. I pray that the justifiable rage that women feel at this moment 
can be channeled into change at every level of our society and so that we can raise our boys differently. Some of the older members here know this, but many of the newer members do not. I gave a sermon in 1991 after the Hill-Thomas hearings and wrote a column in the Gazette entitled, We Believe You, Professor Hill. And not long after her testimony, the Board of Deacons of this church gave me permission to invite her to Mayflower to preach. I met Anita Hill for lunch in Norman, the plaid, the plaid restaurant, cafe, I remember, and told her that we would like her to know that we believed her and wanted her to preach to us if she had something to share. In a moment, I will never forget, she said, Robin, I don't speak in churches. And then after a pause, she said, but because it's Mayflower, I will. And she did. And it was standing room only in this place. I tell you this not to brag on Mayflower, but to remind you we've been doing things differently here for a long time, and now is no time to stop. Our democracy hangs in the balance. Our place in the world, already greatly diminished, hangs in the balance. Future generations who will feel the effect of the vote that was taken yesterday will feel it long after we are gone and may look back at the last two weeks and wonder, did it mark the beginning of the end of American democracy or was it just a dark chapter from which we were able to recover? I pray it will be the latter. On this World Communion Sunday, when more Christians will gather around more tables of every shape and size all over the world than at any other time, I pray, I pray for the church, which has lost its soul, its credibility, even its decency. To my evangelical friends who voted overwhelmingly for Trump, I say, when you go cheap for power, you betray Jesus. When you confuse power with greatness, you are neither powerful nor great. When you look away from the last and the least, you betray women like Anna Maria Archila, the woman who held the elevator door open and told Jeff Flake to look at her, not to look away from her. In so doing, she is perhaps the most biblical character in this whole drama. Several weeks ago, I received a blog written by retired New Testament professor Brandon Scott, who, as you know, has been a teacher and mentor to both Lori and to me. I have used his work on the parables in the classes I teach at OCU, and Brandon is featured in the new documentary film about Mayflower, which, by the way, is called American Heretics, The Politics of the Gospel, which we will all get to watch soon, and Brandon is a feisty, irreverent, former Roman Catholic and a biblical scholar, and he has a lover's quarrel with the church that all of us can relate to. The blog came into my inbox under the title, Burying My Son. I was shocked because I did not know that Brandon's son had died. But when I read the blog, which is a father's reflection on his son's funeral mass in New Orleans, I knew that I wanted to share it with all of you.
but only if I had Brandon's permission, of course, which I do. And I knew I wanted to share it on World Communion Sunday for reasons that should become obvious as you listen. Here it is. Burying My Son by Bernard Brandon Scott. Two days ago, on Friday, August the 24th, 2018, my son, Jonathan Scott, was buried in New Orleans. Now on the third day, I grieve by writing out my grief in reflections on that burial. My son was a gentle, joyful, intelligent person. He owned F&F Botanica and Spiritual Supply. He cared for many people, and the outpouring from the community was astounding. The church was full of people from many races, from all walks of life, including the Voodoo and Santeria communities and the Holy Name Society. He was an active and devout Catholic, but mostly he was an, an enthusiastic syncretist. All manner of faiths and religious practices were welcome in his tent. I was raised in the Catholic Church and taught in a Catholic seminary for 16 years. Often in the past, I drew great succor from the Roman liturgy, but the funeral mass for Jonathan, for the most part, left me empty, at times angry. The retreat from Vatican II is full tilt on in the funeral liturgy. They have not yet reached the Deus Irae, the day of wrath, but it cannot be far behind. While the language about judgment and the angels in heaven are, I'm sure, comforting for some, I left this fantasy a long time ago. The liturgy was only about the deceased in the most perfunctory, pro forma, fill-in-the-blanks way. The family and the mourners were irrelevant. This liturgy was about the church. Particularly galling, right before communion, the cantor read a statement explaining that, quote, it is a consequence of the sad divisions in Christianity that we cannot extend to them, other Christians, an invitation to receive communion. Catholics, the statement continued, believe that the Eucharist is an action of the celebrating community signifying a oneness in faith life, and worship of the community. Reception of the Eucharist by Christians not fully united with us would imply a oneness which does not yet exist and for which we all must pray. Which, Brandon wrote, is ecclesiastical jargon for FU. The technical theological term for Brandon. My son believed in communion, he wrote, but they turned this rite of the church symbolizing our unity into a symbol of disunity and fracture. This church is deeply abusive to its core. But there were moments of deep comfort in the midst of grief, Brandon continued. Michael Jonka's beautiful hymn on eagle's wings has that power of music to create the transcendent moment. The refrain gathered up my grief in a moment of comfort that produced a profound celebration of Jonathan's life 
and the hope it creates. And he will raise you up on eagles' wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm of his hand. The kiss of peace was another moment of grief and healing, my daughter sobbing out her grief for her lost little brother in my arms was liturgy, granting that moment of peace in exactly the way it was supposed to. My son loved New Orleans and its traditions, especially its music. It was only fitting that his funeral procession be led by a jazz band with the mourners following in the second line New Orleans tradition. There was a moment in which the casket was carried to the back of the church to the strains of Beethoven's Ode to Joy. As the casket reached the entrance to the church door, the organ inside was playing Beethoven while outside the jazz band began in a mournful dirge the strains of A Closer Walk With Thee. At first it was cacophony, but then the sound began to blend and produce a wonderful weird harmony, creating yet another transcendent moment. Then the organ died away and the beat of the jazz band took over. The procession to the cemetery, St. Louis number three, across the street from the church was one of the most profound liturgical experiences I have ever had. The music and rhythm expressed our sorrow and grief as well as our joy and celebration of his life. It got our bodies walking in mournful stride and dancing in rhythm. That walk began the process of healing my soul. After the burial in a traditional New Orleans crypt, the band walked and danced us back with an upbeat celebration. Liturgy can work, but not with worn out words that push a ruined fantasy like a narcotic. And it must celebrate and involve all of our body. It must be embodied and bring us together, not push us apart. I will always love and remember my son, and in the music that he loved, I will experience his wonderful, gentle, and joyful presence. So ends Brandon's blog. The death of my son, burying my son. Reflections on the death of a son and moments that both broke and helped heal a father's heart. I share it with you because it seems to me that whether it is religion or politics or the gender wars we are waging, we're always in that space between the ways in which our hearts are broken and the ways in which they can be healed, especially through music. We're gonna have to sing our way through these times. What drives Brandon crazy is what drives me crazy, namely that the church should be as good at breaking hearts as it is at healing them. Closed communion? Really? Closed communion? Where did anyone get that idea from? Or most of the other doctrines of the church for that matter. Seriously, you want us to imagine that Jesus would have gathered his band of misfits together 
for the last supper and then said, Now, before I break the bread and share the cup, because I am going away and you will need nourishment for the long haul, Jesus had said instead, Although we are rebels, we need to be unified rebels and pure in our rebel beliefs as members of the holy rebel church. If you are not totally vested in our system or if you doubt the doctrines I've taught you, Partaking of this simple meal, this Eucharist, would imply a oneness which does not yet exist and for which we must all pray. Nope. To which I can only imagine a disciple, probably Peter, saying, "Uh, but you didn't teach us any doctrine, remember? Silence, impetuous one. You are either one of us, a part of the real church, or you're one of them. Well, I don't need, what can we call them? the ones that aren't real, I know, we'll call them a fellowship, which is what Catholics call all Protestant churches. Now think for a moment about what church said to the grieving family and friends of Jonathan Scott. If you're not one of us, you must wait to partake of the extravagant and unconditional love of God until you have been approved by a God we have decided is obviously not that extravagant and whose love is obviously not that unconditional. You can't have a church without rules, people, so if you don't know the rules, then just cross your arms over your chest and pass the bread of heaven and the cup of kindness to your doctrinally sound neighbor. To quote my friend Brandon Scott, that's how you say F you to the gospel. This church, he wrote, is deeply abusive to its core. Yes, indeed. So is our broken political system. So is our refusal to admit women into the full sacramental hospitality of simple equality. So is our poor public schools to mass incarceration pipeline. So is our frat house boys will be boys pipeline from privilege to yet more privilege. Keep those uppity elevator women away from me. Can't you see I'm on my sacred way from more to yet more because God said I deserve it for having picked wealthy white parents, private schools, and friends who will keep my secrets. Am I qualified? I went to Yale. Maybe, maybe we should invite Christine Blasey Ford to come to Mayflower to preach. We could try. We, we, can't, we can't stop now. Strangely, we're at this moment when women have the most to lose and when simultaneously they hold the most political power in the midterm elections. Now, I'm not suggesting all our answers are political. Not by any means, but we are all about to learn how much the Supreme Court really matters because Congress no longer does. In the meantime, I want my privileged white male brethren to know that our days are running out. The elevator that takes us to the top It's going to stop on every floor now, and a woman is going to hold the door open and say, look at me. Don't look away from me. I would suggest we listen. And then, then 
Don't be surprised when she gets on the elevator and says, I'm going up too. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Dr. Robin Myers, Senior Minister of Mayflower Congregation on UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services every Sunday are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. and a full church school for all ages is available during the second service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, a block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.